The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Father, we hear that verse read, a familiar one. As we stop and consider it, it is a, it's a call to us an exhortation to us that is about something wonderful. We are exhorted to take up a privilege. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, draw near to your throne, a throne that for us, your people, is a throne of grace, not a throne of wrath. You reign from a throne that is a throne of grace for us and want to give from that throne mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. That is a privilege won for us by the great high priest, Jesus, that you sent. The work that he has done to atone for our sins and clear the way to the throne for us. A privilege that then you call us to, to take up, let us approach So, Father, my hope this morning here is that you would move us, your people, to take up this privilege. You would move us to approach your throne. You'd move us to approach upon a way that you built through a door that you opened to a throne that is a throne of grace because of your work. Would you do that in us this morning, Lord? Would you take this people, this church, would you reshape, would you reconfigure whatever is necessary in, in us, in our personal, individual hearts, would you mold us in a fresh way to be a people who takes up this privilege and comes to you prayerfully? comes to you persistently in prayer, expecting you to give grace and mercy. We live in a time of need always. Some of us in particular times of need right now. We always live there in that place of need, and you want to give, so please move us. Spirit of God, would you move in this room now and have your way with us to clear away anything that would be an obstacle to our simple obstacles like temperature and other physical distractions, would you clear those away and enable us to to focus and to listen? But if there are other, if there are things in the spiritual realm, whether it be sins or other barriers or, or spiritual opponents, would you clear all that stuff away? Spirit of God, clear it away so that as you speak, we can hear. Would you speak? Would you give us ears to hear? Would you reshape us? Would you make us a praying people? Would you then give us grace and mercy 
You are the God who gives to your honor and for our good. So I pray you would accomplish that this morning. Father, Son, and Spirit, work together, build your church, honor the name of Jesus here. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Turn our attention this morning to Luke chapter 11, where we are considering Jesus' instruction on prayer. Chapter 10, you'll recall, concluded with the story of Mary and Martha, a story in which we saw pressed on us the great importance of communion with the Lord, and in particular there, it was emphasized communion with the Lord via His Word, through teachings. We saw Mary sitting at the feet of the Lord, listening to Him, to Him teach. Emphasized there at the end of 10 is the Lord and his teaching. And then as we move into chapter 11, we have presented to us another aspect of that communion, namely prayer. In response to a request for guidance, Jesus taught his disciples this model prayer. We've been looking at for the last two weeks, a version of what we sometimes call the Lord's Prayer. When you pray, he says, here's the content that you should cover. Here's what you should ask for. He gives to us categories and an approach, a a mindset, not a word-for-word formula to be recited. Christians alone have this privilege of addressing a father. We have this privilege of talking, in prayer, talking like children to an attentive dad. That's a great privilege that we have. That's, that's the mindset, the approach that we take. And then we bring to him these kinds of requests. We ask him for things related to him. We ask him that he make his name to be hallowed, that is revered, reverenced, worshipped, honored, and that he bring his kingdom finally one day and then in, in part foreshadowed, even now we pray for his kingdom to come in full and also in pieces now. And we also then ask him to do, well, while he is bringing his kingdom to help us now with our needs and with our sins and with our temptations, all in a way that serves to build up our faith. That's what we considered last week in verses 3 to 4. We ask our Father for our daily bread, a a daily, day-by-day-by-day-by-day-by-day process. That's how he works. Need, met, need, met. And he doesn't work that way because he's miserly and doesn't want to give us a lot. He works, because, he works that way because he realizes that's what establishes in us a track record of need, ask, met, need, ask, met, need, ask, met, so that when we come to the point of saying, I have a need and I ask and I have to look ahead at the promise to meet it, and I'm, I'm asking myself, why should I believe him? Why should I trust him? I have a track record of seeing him meet my needs in the past, particularly going all the way back to when he sent the bread from heaven, Jesus. So God works this way to meet our needs in a way designed to build faith because faith is so critical it drives all Christian virtue. Believing in God. Believing in God to be for me, to be faithful to me tomorrow or next year or a thousand years from now is the power behind me living in faith for him today, in obedience to him today. So he does that. He works day by day by day giving us regular experience of his, of his daily meeting of our needs and regular experience of his forgiveness. So it builds us up, matures us, and protects us from the pull of temptation and its alternative offers. 
as we considered last week. But Jesus isn't done teaching about prayer. He's leaving the content of prayer in that model prayer, but then in verse 5, he moves on to talk about something else that he knows trips us up often, the actual praying of this content. So the flow sort of is, here's what you should pray, and really, you should pray it. So he's, he's moving on into, into, here's what you should pray persistently and expectantly, verses 5 to 13. So he has a particular focus here, which means that this morning is not going to cover everything that could be said about prayer. There are many other things that the Bible says about prayer that, that we could address that we're not going to touch on this morning. We're going to follow what, what he says, and he's particularly focused on persistence and expectancy. And he's casting prayer as asking, as making requests, like the Lord's Prayer is cast. It's, it's, it's Father and then five requests. So he's talking about prayer in a way we might use the word petition. And we know that when we pray, there are many other things that we can do in times of prayer that Jesus isn't, isn't addressing. He's talking about prayer as petitioning, as asking. So we have some, some focus here this morning. Prayer as petition, particularly driving at petition him with persistence and with expectation. So that's what we're getting at this morning. I'm going to read the whole passage, though, from verse 2 down through 13 before making two observations from the last part of that. Beginning with Jesus in verse 2. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves? For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Luke 11. I make two observations, and here's the first one. And they come from the two, there are two different stories, you'll notice, told here. So one comes from one story, one from the other. First one, our Father wants us to ask persistently, because he wants to give graciously. 
Our Father wants us to ask persistently because he wants to give graciously. As I say that, I know there are several kind of limiting qualifiers in play here that I want to put on the table, briefly address so we can get rid of them and put the emphasis where it belongs in this sentence. So there are some limiting qualifiers. First of all, what are we asking? Well, in the context, it's the Lord's Prayer, prayed. That's what he has in mind here. It's the request of the Lord's Prayer. So even while we recognize that those categories are are broad, many things can be included under them, that should be kind of coloring the background here. So we have have a context. His, His first verses told us, here's what you should be praying about. There's a limiting factor there. And secondly, he's talking to Christians. We, we have a privilege of praying that, that he's addressing here. He's not talking to other people, to the world. He's talking to Christians. And as he talks about praying and receiving, we have to remember that God gives graciously. Of grace. That is, undeserved, unearned. So there's nothing here that allows us to say any and everything that any and everybody could think of to pray somehow or another gets God over a barrel such that he has to answer. He remains free. He has to be himself, but he can answer prayer as he chooses. Those are the limiting qualifications that are kind of around this. I state them, put them on the table so that we can remove them because limiting qualification is decidedly not the point here. It's not. Jesus spends no time in these verses telling us what to pray about or what not to pray about or, or exhorting us to be careful that we ask according to his will. There's nothing here like that. Not once. Why not? Because he's trying to encourage us and push us in a totally different direction. He's trying to encourage persistence. Verses 5 to, five to 8 illustrate the point. Here's the story. He asks, isn't this the case? And of course it is the case. Here's a man with a late night visitor. He has to feed him. He has to host him. He doesn't have anything. So he goes and he knocks on a friend's door. And the friend, the door's barred. He's sleeping in the, in the common bed, as, as would be the case in many situations back then. He's sleeping in bed. He's got his kids there. And he says, go away. S- knock it off. You're going to wake up the kids. There's no way on earth I'm getting out of bed to un- unbolt the door, wake up everybody in the middle of the night here to give you bread. Forget it. Don't bother me. It's intended to be a little humorous. because you can, you can kind of see the guy bleary-eyed and frustrated. But the man keeps knocking. Why? Because he needs the bread. He's desperate. And he knows that his friend can give it to him. And, and, he knows that the friend will give it to him. If he just keeps knocking. 
He's going to he's gonna, he's gonna get up. He said he wouldn't, but he's going to. And, he, and when he gets up, he's not going to punch me out. He's not going to curse me out. He's not going to call the police. He's going to give me the bread. Not because he's my friend. Very pointedly, verse 8, not because he's my friend, but just because of my impudence. That's the word. Which means because of my forwardness, because of my assertiveness past the socially acceptable cues. It's dark. He's angry and he told me to go away. Never mind. I'm going to keep knocking. That's what will prevail. That story has one point. And it is not figure out what is reasonable or appropriate. It is not that. And it is not go ask your friends. It is ask, 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 ask. That's the point. And that's the place that Jesus puts us when he, when he sh- like shapes the story. Which of you has a friend? We'll go to him at midnight. We're, we're not in the house with, with the request being made of us. We're supposed to be in the spot of the requester. Completely clear. Asking wins the day here. And in case somehow we missed it, and, and understand, this, there is so much emphasis here. It's, it's really, I don't think it's possible to miss that point in the telling of the story. But then Jesus comes around in 9 and 10 and tells us what the point was. He applies it himself and then underlines it with his personal authority in verses 9 and 10. But I say to you, here's what I'm getting at, and I'm getting at it on my own authority. When Jesus says, I say to you, that's, I say to you, this is the authority of Jesus saying, this is the way it is. Here's what I'm getting at. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and knock. Three different ways of saying essentially different pieces of this man's story. He went seeking bread at his friend's house and knocked and asked. There's no real importance in the different words used. It's just emphasis. What I say to you is be persistent and go to your father asking, verse 10, for because everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. To the one who knocks, it will be opened. That's why you should knock and seek and ask. It will be answered. No qualifications, no limitations, wide open, positive affirmation given on the authority of Jesus himself. Will. This asking will be answered. The request will be given. So ask Ask, 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 and therefore receive. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to push this, appropriately so, in the direction of the story and in the direction of the application, and I hope in a way that makes you kind of uncomfortable a little bit. Because I hope, probably, I, I expect that in many of our minds, we're thinking, like, whoa, 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 hold on. you got to kind of, don't you? Shape, protect, cover that. Shelter that because that needs to be guarded, shouldn't it? No. 
if it should have been, he would have. This, I hope this kind of leaves you a little bit uncertain here, but do you understand my point? If he should have guarded it, he would have. But he didn't. He just presses really hard on ask and it will be given. Because the problem Jesus is seeing and confronting is not the one that often comes to our minds. We, like what leaps to our minds, we often have concern to defend the prayer promises from, well, the silly, from the person who prays for the Lamborghini or to win the, win the lottery. Wait, wait a minute, Steve, you can't say that because if that's the case, then I would just pray for, I'd ask for a Lamborghini and, and he'd have to give it to me, right? Jesus is not concerned to defend that. We sometimes bring that up, he doesn't care. Nor... Is he concerned to defend God himself from seeming to fail? We sometimes want to shelter because we we always know, don't we, that sometimes I asked and I didn't get. So people sometimes criticize. I read an article in the paper, one, one that we shared in the Outwards Living class, about some guy talking about, when you pray for certain things, they never happen. Here's a a vehemently non-Christian critic, and we feel like, well, we got to like somehow shelter because that guy's going to say, I asked, the example he used, to regrow an arm, like a chameleon, or I think a salamander, regrows a leg. It never happens. We feel like we have to respond to that. No, we don't. Jesus is not concerned to defend God from the non-Christian critic, nor from us. Because we, we know, sometimes wonder, but I prayed, and I'm wondering why my prayer wasn't answered. And if he didn't give like you're saying he would give, he didn't give like he promised, is something's not right here. Jesus is wrong, or God isn't real, or what's, how do I understand the presence of God and the reality of God in light of answered prayer or unanswered prayer? Jesus wants to say to that, if you want evidence, to the non-Christian or to the Christian, The place to start is not with prayer, it's with the empty tomb. Fact of history, the tomb is empty. Start there. Because we all know prayer is us talking to a God who is free. We all know the qualifiers I mentioned at the beginning. They exist. Jesus doesn't care about them right now, right here. Prayer as evidence is not the place to start. The empty tomb as evidence is the place to start. Jesus is not concerned to address these things here because he's trying to get at the real problem. The real problem is prayerlessness. He doesn't care about the goofy extremes. He knows that reasonable people understand that humans don't control God by prayer. But as Jesus looks at the church, ask if this is true if he looks at you as a piece of the church. As Jesus looks at the church, what he's most concerned about is that we don't pray. Not persistently. Not with expectation. Not expectantly. Not... 
like that. Maybe we pray like that. He wants to address persistence. A coming to God that is like a, a grabbing hold of, of, of his robe, so to speak, and, and pulling and saying, Lord, an earnestness, a persistence, an expectation. He's trying to move us towards that, to pray, to pray earnestly and to pray often. That's his goal, and that's our need. So he focuses on ask, and you will receive. You ask, and you will receive, because imagine this, and some of us do not have to imagine this. This is, this is our reality. But imagine this. If you have a parent, a, a dad or a mom, if you have a parent who says, I'll, I'll use a father because of the parallel, your dad takes you as a kid to a toy store and says, I want to buy you a gift. Walk through all the aisles and look. Pick out whatever you want within reason. What just happened right there? He cut the heart out of the offer. And now, if you're at all a conscientious child, you're thinking, well, what's within reason? What's reasonable? I don't want to ask for something unreasonable because then I would look foolish as I say, can I have this? And he says, no, goodness, kid, no. I'd look foolish. Or, or my sibling or my friend would say, you asked for that? Are you a knucklehead? Or I'd embarrass my dad because that's way too expensive and he can't afford that. So I better figure out what's reasonable and what's happening is you're trimming your requesting. You're self-limiting. You're drawing back. And because you, you're, you're conscientious, you want to you like be under the bar, whatever it is. So as soon as he makes a great offer and tacks on within reason at the end, he cuts the heart out of that offer. God does not want to do that with his, with his offer to come and ask, come, come to the throne of grace and receive grace and mercy in your time of need. Within reason? No. He wants to give and he wants us to come and ask. And he doesn't want to cut the heart out of the offer, out of our, out of our inclination to, to come and to ask. He wants to give us prayer because in prayer, he wants to give us countless things. Absolutely everything I can think of, you know not. You know not. And we'll talk about that in the next point. But far more than we ask or imagine. We trim our requesting and we trim our frequency. And in part, in part, that's because we want to ask what's reasonable and we are focused instead on what's within his will and what would be right to ask instead of just asking like a child talks to his attentive dad. That's what he's leaning on here. Ask. He has created prayer. And think about how he created prayer. God sits on a throne. And what he did was he created a pathway to that throne. He is so concerned to, to provide for us prayer, to provide for us access to his presence and intimacy with him and an ability to ask him and to receive from him. That is, considered from our perspective, that is a critical component of why he sent the Son. Hebrews 4. Considered from our perspective, the point at the end that I read at the beginning of the, 
of the sermon here, the point at the end of Hebrews 4 is this high priest has opened up access so that we can come with confidence and ask him. That is a large point of the gospel then. To provide for you opportunity to go and ask God your Father to give. Go and ask him persistently, with expectation. Sometimes we don't ask. Sometimes we, we trim that because we're, we're too focused on the limitations and not focused on the wide open offer. But I think that even if we consider the wide open offer and aren't concerned with the limitations we still have to face. Why don't we pray? Why did the guy knock on the friend's door? And knock and knock and knock and knock and knock and knock and knock. Because he needed the bread. That is convicting. As I stop myself, it's convicting for me, as I stop myself right there in that point and face my prayerlessness. So I invite you, stop yourself there, face your prayerlessness. Somewhere at the bottom of prayerlessness is a vast, wide open offer, untaken. Why? The only thing I can come up with is that I don't really think I need it. I don't keep knocking because, in my mind, I come up with another way to get the job done. That's further, I think, verified by what happens when we lose our job or lose our health. prayer often goes up because then we just bumped into I don't know if I can get that done. So I better ask for that. But when, when I get a job, prayer falls off because I'm not really feeling need. This is a great trouble for us. We do not live very much in touch with our needs breakthrough at times, but I don't think in general we actually think we need him. Intellectually, certainly. We all can quote, apart from me you can do nothing. But just ask yourself, does prayerlessness in your life actually say something else? Being honest with you, that, that is... That is the case for me. Prayerlessness says to me, I find this bearing in on me. In this situation, I didn't even think to pray about it because I thought I got it. May God show us our need for him and for his power and for his grace that is available to us. We need God to move, to act, to pray.
pour out himself in line with these requests. He wants us to pray persistently. Why persistently? If we need God, why doesn't he respond to just the one knock? I think if he responded to the one knock in in my case, I'd only ask once. And I'd be that, that, that more separated from him, that more distanced, that more less dependent. God is at work in us to grow this kind of connection, to grow this kind of dependence on him. And the constant looking to him, the constant coming to him and asking and asking and asking, similar to last week what we saw about daily bread daily, it creates a tighter connection and and a deeper dependence. He doesn't want to give us good stuff apart from giving us him, in part because he knows our idolatrous hearts would make idols out of the stuff if it was cut off from him. This is a good God who works in this way to give him response to prayer and to give him response to persistent prayer. That's what turns us Godward in disposition, which is critical for us. He wants to give, and he gives in a way in response to persistence because, above all, he wants to give himself. going to lead us into the second point, but do you understand that? Persistent prayer, persistent prayer, rather than just one-off prayer, persistent prayer is what draws us to him in in dependence. When we need and ask and ask and ask and ask, it has a way of drawing us to him that just giving the need silently or giving it once wouldn't draw us, wouldn't create in us. He wants to give graciously. And so he wants us to pray persistently. Do you pray? Do you pray? Sometimes we don't pray because we're actually focused on the limitations. Sometimes we don't pray because we don't really find ourselves in touch with need. But at other times we don't pray because there's something a bit disheartening about what has not been answered in the past. That's what takes us to the second point. Here's the second observation. Our Father gives. Our Father gives in response to prayer. That's kind of the first point. Maybe not what we ask, but profound good that we actually want and need. So I'm extending the first point. Our Father gives in response to prayer, but maybe not what we asked. But it is profound good that we want and need. In verse 11, Jesus changes the analogy and our place in it from asker to answerer. He's trying to put us in the place of God the Father to make us think about God thinking about us as we pray. And he asks us, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a serpent instead? 
Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion instead. And at one level, this is very simple. No one would do that. That would be cruel, right? And God the Father is at least as good as we are, so he won't do that either. That much is simple. There's a simple comparison there. But we need to keep thinking about this because there's a little more in this analogy, in this story here. If we notice the two comparisons made there, fish and serpent, and egg and scorpion, and then if you want to furthermore add in the one from Matthew, bread and stone, you might ask, what's with these odd pairs? Why would you ask a question with these examples, with these pairings put in it? And the connection within the pairs is that the latter item looks like the former item. Think about a serpent. We might imagine certain types of, of snakes, but there, there was a type of snake that was used as bait to catch fish. And it looks a little similar to a fish. And if you think about a rolled-up scorpion, it looks resembles an egg. And to use the bread and stone, a round loaf of bread like they made back then might look like a stone. At least in the eyes of a child. That's the point. At least in the eyes of a child, or perhaps in a non-attentive parent. But what Jesus is really getting at, really asking us to ponder is, what father among you would say if his son asked him, pointing at a rolled-up scorpion, Dad, I'm hungry. Can I have that egg? That's, that's the situation he's, that he's envisioning for us. Dad, I'm hungry. Can I have that egg? Who among you would say, close enough, sure. Or would say, well, that's actually a scorpion, and you don't know the difference yet, but since you really want it, and since you asked, okay, who's like that? Nobody. No father, none of you, if you put yourself in that show shoes, none of you would do that. And your Father in heaven is at least as good and wise and attentive as we are. So we should realize he's not like that either. We wouldn't do that. He wouldn't do that. But what would you do? You know how to give good gifts to your children. Your little boy says, Dad, Mom, I'm hungry. Can I have that egg? Pointing at the scorpion, that fish. You wouldn't look at it and say, Sure, try to eat this course that would be evil but more you wouldn't say no that's a scorpion that's a serpent and then leave it at that follow what he says you know how to give good gifts not you know how to not give bad gifts you would hear the request Dad, I'm hungry. Can I have that egg? And you would say, no, that's a serpent. That's a, that's a bad bug. That will hurt you. We don't actually have any eggs. We have carrots and fruit leathers. Here, snack on this. You'd give him a good gift to meet the need. Different than what he asked for. 
I want an egg. That's not an egg. Right in that, we need to pause right there because his point in telling us the story is to tell us something about God and to put us in the situation where we are thinking like God the giver. But for a moment, put yourself right back in the requester spot. This is perhaps a difficult thing for some of us to, to face as we think about the things that we ask for that we have heard no to. God does say no. Of course we know he says not yet sometimes, but that feels like no. God does say no. And if you're reading this and thinking about it, it is true that we as children ask for things with limited vision and with limited understanding. We can ask for things that in this situation, in this world, right now, given what's going on, are not good for us, but in fact would be bad. What do you mean? How can that be? I need a job. How can a job be bad? Or, we've been praying for a child for years. How are children bad? You know what it's like to month by month by month by month pray for that? And you're telling me the child's a scorpion? No. I'm saying that from our perspective, we as children ask for things with limited knowledge, with limited perspective. Jobs and children are blessings from the Lord. But we have to face, and I'm going to come back to a, a good can in a moment. We have to face the fact that God knows more than we do. And even when we ask for things that are clearly right and, and clearly good, they might not be right and good right now or for us or for this situation. And we have to say, God, you are God. And we can say, God, you are God. His goodness is not proven. His goodness is not established by whether or not he answers this, that, or the other prayer. His goodness is established in the same place that his reality is established. His goodness is established in the empty tomb. He sent the Son to the cross and brought him out to give you life and with him all things. Not a baby. All things. Friends, all things does not mean everything you can think of. All things mean all of the world is delivered to you for your good. Maybe not a baby, maybe not a baby now. Maybe not a job, or not a job now. But the world is, in this loving Jesus, delivered to you for your good. From the hand of a God who sent his son to the cross to atone for you and to deliver you into life and with him gives you all things. I am, I am really aware that 
For some of us, this is all theory, and perhaps for a few of us, this is potentially incredibly painful. The only reason I touch it in a setting like this is that I know it's what you're thinking about. There are like 90% of the prayers we pray that we hear a no to. We say, okay, okay, okay. And then there are a few of them that we say, ah! <laughs> broken down weeping. My body's broken and you won't heal it. There's no baby, there's no money. Brothers and sisters, he is the Lord. He's good, independent of this, that, or the other request. His goodness is established, must be anchored to a cross and a tomb and life to you. We have to acknowledge that we ask with limited perspective. He puts us in, in the spot of the, the giving Father because He also wants us to see that when He feels the request and realizes that He has to say no, He does not say no and leave it at that. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And critically, ask Him is not ask Him for the Holy Spirit. The grammar there is this continuous asking, the same continuous asking he's been working on through the whole passage. Asking is another word for praying, praying in an ongoing, continual sense. What he says is he gives the Holy Spirit to those who are persistently praying. He gives good gifts. Not what I asked for, maybe not. But he gives good gifts. In particular, explicitly, he gives the Holy Spirit. Do you see how Jesus right here speaks to the ache? Not with complete, not, not in a complete all-inclusive answer, but with what can be enough of an answer. It answers one question intellectually. He knows more than I do. But it also answers something at the heart level. Why should I keep coming to him when he keeps saying no? Why should I keep coming to him? Because what he promises is that he will give good. He will give the unique, powerful presence of himself filling you. And many people can identify with that, can, can verify that from their own experience. The time when you have most drawn near to and have most met with God and most experienced His fullness and His reality is through the tears of no. As you've come up with face-to-face -face God and, and dealt with Him through the, I'm grieved over this, I can't understand it, it hurts still again. Why? And as you deal with God like that, 
you deal with God like that, those in many of our lives, certainly in mine, that's when you actually deal with God. That's when you find, that's when you actually find God present with you, speaking to your heart, I'm the one you need. I will give you myself. Come, like Mary, commune with me. You will find me, and you will find me to be good. You will find me to be the love that you need. You will find me to be the hope that you need. There may never be an answer to that request. But there will be an answer to the real request. I need hope. I need help. I need love. I need communion. I need companionship. Here's me to fill you and be all that you were made for, all that you need. And that doesn't come Done. It doesn't come like that. It doesn't come when we ask once and then say, well, forget it, I'm going somewhere else. It doesn't come. It only comes when I sit and persistently say, Lord, Lord, Lord. Very often, in moments in, in our lives, in the moments in my life when, when I have faced God across the no, I find Him. We find Him in new depth and in new wonder and in new glory. And we also find out about us. Find out, why do I so strongly latch on to that? Is there some way that his name needs to be more hallowed in my life? Why do I so strongly focus on the circumstance here in this life? Is it because I don't see the kingdom? Is this in fact, in fact, as I deal with this, is this something touching on sin in my life? Thank you for forgiving it. Very often, it is across the persistent asking, even through the nose. Now what we find is a new way that God hallows his name in our lives, that God introduces us to his kingdom and his righteousness. That which we are supposed to seek, that which we actually need. He calls us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All the things that he knows that we need will be added to us. If we look at prayer for a moment from the perspective of those last verses, 11, 12, 13, 
we see God most concerned to give himself to us as a good gift. Why we should persistently ask. He gives good to you always. Primarily himself, especially himself. But along with you, many, 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 many other things. Gives us all that we need. So don't get stopped by seeming no answers. And don't get stopped by being unaware of our need. And don't get stopped by trying to, trying to trim your own requests. But, but ask him broadly and ask him openly and, and ask him persistently. He means for us to ask because he wants to give to us. Pray. Let me pray now. Father, would you in each of us, wherever we sit in the moment, I want to pray particularly for people if they there are certain individuals who sit deeply flustered right now. Would you speak to those individuals and would you confirm your goodness to them? Would you face with them the places and the ways that you have not answered their prayers as they prayed them? And for them and for all of the rest of us, for all of us together, would you put your hand on us and draw us to prayerfulness? Draw us from an awareness of our need, our, our many needs. Draw us from an awareness of your goodness and of your desire to give. Particular things will be particular needs for particular people. Would you create in us, would you create of us a church that prays? That prays persistently, that prays expectantly and does not rely on our own abilities or our own wisdom or our own financial abilities. We need you. We need you to grow us. We need you to build your kingdom. We need you to hallow your name. We need you to give us our daily bread. We need you to make us aware of our sin, forgiven and wiped away. We need you to keep us from temptation, from its power. Please do these things. Lord, I, I surrender me and us to you and ask you to own this people and to own me. You are God. Will you please intervene in our lives and lead us? 
give to us. Cause us to flourish in your hand by your power. Thank you for hearing. Thank you for giving, giving, for giving to us. You are good. We are grateful. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.